Hey everyone, and welcome to Unison Christian Church, the podcast. We exist to change our community with the life-changing truth of Jesus, elevate a culture of love and holistic growth, and serve as a family built on hope. Our desire is that today's message helps you discover fresh new ways of connecting with God. Now, here is today's message. Good morning. Can you guys hear me okay? Yeah? Okay, good. I'm asking because we have to bring the, the stuff in and out and in and out and plug it in. And sometimes you just, Lord, give us the wisdom to plug the mic into the right input, Jesus. <laughs> um, um, God's good. middle of last year, I can't even remember what it was I was doing, but I was asked to do a video um, and send it somewhere, and I really don't remember where it was. But in the middle of that video, it struck me. um, No, actually, it was an online kind of uh, Zoom thing that we were doing about worship, and it struck me, and I've said it a few times, but to acknowledge God's goodness like we acknowledge the law of gravity. Something that we take for granted. We take it, we, you never think about gravity until somebody tells you. <laughs> Someone says the word gravity. But it's always there. There's not a moment where you have been alive Not a moment where you have been sitting, walking, standing, rolling down a hill on this planet where gravity has not been there. And the same thing is with God's goodness. There's not a moment where you have been sitting, standing, walking, rolling down a hill of life up on on your highest mountain or in your deepest valley and the goodness of God not been there. God is good. And even when I fail to acknowledge God's goodness, like I fail to remember the law of gravity, God is still good. And he doesn't waver just because we don't say it all day long. It's actually for my benefit that I say it. It's not for his. It's for my benefit. So God is good. God is good. We thank you. I'm going to tell you a story. Some of you are familiar with this, um, but it's found in Genesis chapter 29 through 31, and I'm going to give you the Cliff's Notes. (laughs) There was a man named Jacob who was the grandson of Abraham, right? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. These are the patriarchs of the Jewish faith, and in many ways, our patriarchs too. Jacob has just been blessed by his father, Isaac, and his father and mother send him to go find a wife. He gets to Padan Aram, and he's there at a well, and he sees this beautiful young lady named Rachel. They get to talking like, yo, I'm here to find a wife. 
He's like, you should probably meet my dad then. <laughs> he meets Laban, who was Rachel's father, and works for Laban for about a month before Laban says, like, hey, you've been here for a while. What can I do to, like, repay you? Like, you shouldn't work for anything just because you're my family, right? Like, you know, I mean, you should just work for nothing. He said, you know what? I'm actually interested in marrying your, your daughter, Rachel. And it's a break with tradition because Rachel has an older sister named Leah. But Laban says, oh, man, it's fine. You can marry her. Here's what I want you to do. Work for me for seven years, and I will let you marry Rachel. So Jacob, some of y'all know this story. It's okay. Jacob works for Laban for seven years, and as they're getting toward that seventh year, Jacob's presence, and really the presence of God with Jacob, has made Laban incredibly wealthy, and they are all acknowledging, like, yo, you got lots of sheep and lots of goats and all the things, and to some degree, that's about to end. (laughs) They have the wedding ceremony. Jacob marries Rachel, and in that culture, the way in which marriage was confirmed was consummation. So it's dark. Jacob and his wife are consummating. (laughs) The next morning, he wakes up and it's Leah. (laughs) And he has, there has been a consummation, so he is now culturally, socially, legally married to Leah and hot. He is mad. Goes to Laban like, you son of a, beep, beep, (laughs) you (laughs) tricked me into marrying this first daughter. He's like, no, 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 it's good. It's actually a good thing for for men to have two wives. So here's what you're going to do. I want you to work for me another seven years and you can marry Rachel. Actually, if you read in Genesis, it's Genesis 30 where this goes down. He, after the, after, like, after a week of being married to Leah, he also then marries Rachel. So, like, <laughs> within, he was started January, like, you know, this is not for real, but, like, he would have started January a single man and ended with two wives, right? Like, when less than two weeks, this man has two wives. But he, in, in him being married to Rachel, it's kind of like that he got an advance <laughs> on the dowry. He married Rachel and then worked another seven years, 14 years working for Laban, right? Well, this is go- coming to an end, and they also now have children. And Jacob is saying it's time to go, and Laban is like, mm, well, here, stick, stick around and here's what we'll do. We'll build your wealth. And then so they come up with an agreement. Whatever cattle or excuse me, whatever sheep and goats are in my herd that are spot, spotted and speckled and striped, you can have those. Well, Laban comes up with that, right? That's what they come up to, the agreement they come to. But then Laban goes and actually removes all of them. He removes all of the ones that are not white. And so, they, so this treachery of Laban continues. Well, God works it out with Jacob, and they end up still having a whole bunch of spotted, speckled, striped animals. But, and then Jacob, not wanting to have to serve any longer, actually takes 
his two wives, their children, and their whole hookup, and they run away. They're going to go back to their land where, where actually at this point Esau is, who was Jacob's brother. And Laban chases them. And he is fully intent to, let, to, to take Jacob out because he's taken his daughters, he's taken this, his herds, he's taken these grandchildren, and Laban wants to make sure that Jacob knows that he's taken what's his. And in a dream while he's on the way to go take Jacob out, God tells Laban, don't touch Jacob. I got stuff that I need Jacob to do. And Laban still pursues him. And when they get to one another, they talk, they process, and there's a lot of things that go down, lots of great details. I'd encourage you to read it. But really what I want to get to is the agreement that they make when they see one another. Jacob can't go back, and neither can his family. And Laban is like, God told me I can't do anything, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to erect this monument. It's a pile of rocks, right? It's not, some, it's not like, you know, the Washington Monument. It's a pile of rocks, fam. <laughs> but they make an agreement. I won't pass this rock, and you don't pass these rocks to harm one another. Laban actually takes it a step further. If you cheat on my daughters with other women, <laughs> I'm like, may your God be the one that defends them. And they both make this agreement to not pass by this pile of rocks to harm one another. And their agreement is based upon their understanding allegiance to God and their trust of one another. It's a boundary. Today's sermon is about holy boundaries. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 through 23, and Mark chapter 8, verses 11 through 20. But I wanted you to hear that story before we jumped in, because that sets really a tone for where we're going. I love the Bible. I love the Bible. But one of my favorite things about the Bible there is Genesis and all the narratives, the stories that are in there. I don't like reading fiction. I'm not like a fiction. I don't write like novels that much. I'm kind of a nerdy person. But there's something of that like every single time I read these narratives, like you just glean something from their lives. You glean something like, oh, I didn't even catch that the first time. Oh, wow. And if I was in that situation, oh, my goodness. This is why I encourage us when we're reading the Bible, like put yourself in it. The only way you can actually get anything out of Genesis is if you put yourself there in Canaan. That's the only, right? It's not, I mean, otherwise it's just a history lesson, but that's not actually the point of Genesis. The point of Genesis is to put the law into actual real life. It's like it's putting the law in stories, and you begin to see why you do certain things and you don't do certain things. And so this story between Jacob and Laban and this boundary that has been set up is something for us to learn from. I'm going to pray and then we'll, we'll jump in a little bit further. Father, thank you for your word because it reveals your heart to us, your values, your mind, your will, who you are. You have revealed through authors, through poems, through stories, through proverbs, through letters. We get to understand who you are. 
And so, Lord, as we seek you, Lord, may we find you together. As we talk about holy boundaries, may you be glorified in our fellowship around your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Boundaries are not uncommon in Scripture. I think when we talk about boundaries as Christians, we have, even as, you know, folks in 2021, like, it's okay for us to talk about having healthy boundaries, but as believers, we get this weird sense of tension as we start talking about boundaries, because, like, how do you have boundaries and be selfless at the same time, right? (laughs) How do you love someone selflessly, but mm, I got my, you know, I got to keep my distance, too. It feels like this, you know, honestly, it's almost like an oxymoron moron, to be selfless and care for yourself, (laughs) feel like they're in opposition to one another. But I wanted to start in Genesis because that's the first book of the Bible where we see some boundaries, and I'm going to talk about that one specifically in a minute. But that's not the first place we see boundaries. God set up boundaries way at the beginning. I want you to see this picture. God At verse 9, God separated light from darkness. It's a boundary, right? And I know that's simple, right? I know, right? I'm, we're going to be talking about something that's a little bit more philosophical and deep than God separating light from darkness. But from the very beginning of time, God was setting up boundaries. In the, in the next little section in Genesis, God separated waters and he pulled them all together and really established how far the sea could go. Like, think about that, right? Like, If we think about the the God of creation set up boundaries from the beginning of time. And yes, he's not, at this point, we're not talking about relational boundaries. But the God of creation saw that there was need for boundaries. And so he set them up. So something that I want us to remember from Genesis chapter 1 is that holy boundaries establish order in your life in ways that mirror the values of God. They establish order in your life in ways that mirror the values of God. God could have made a big old pot of soup that was creation. And if you really think about it, he could have did whatever he wanted to do with us and just threw us in a big pot and said that everybody just rub up against everything, water and trees and sky and stars and all of it. I mean, he's the one who established that light and darkness can't exist in the same space. He's the one that is, and I know that's deep, fam. I know, right? It's like, that's that's basic science. Well, if we're talking about a creator, and science is the study of creation, then this creator saw there to be value in the difference between between light and darkness, and there being a space where it doesn't matter how much, it doesn't matter how big the typhoon, you can't go but so far, water. This is what God has already established. And holy boundaries in my life establish order in ways that mirror the values of God. I'm going to come back to that Laban and Jacob thing in a second, but I want us to see some boundaries in Jesus' life. I spent some time during the sabbatical um, praying See a lot of time praying. And one of the things that I was praying about 
And I was like, God, I feel like you have asked me to ask you for certain things, or I have felt compelled to ask for certain things, and you don't do it. <laughs> like, like, you just, it's not even, it's like, nah, Chase. <laughs> it's, it's not even sophisticated. It's not deep. It's not like, nah, I'm just not doing that. <laughs> That's what it feels like, right? And I sat in a room and like, okay, God, we got to talk about this. Why is it that you don't answer some of the things that I'm asking for? Because I know I'm asking according to your will, right? Like, I feel like this is what's happening. I'm not asking for something crazy. I'm not, you know, I'm not asking for something wild. Like, right, I'm asking for things that actually I feel like glorify you. Why aren't you doing it? <laughs> it took me to this passage. I read the one in Mark, but the one in Matthew works well for us today. Matthew chapter 20, verse 20 then the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, also called the sons of thunder, <laughs> they came to Jesus, uh, she came to Jesus with her sons. She knelt respectfully and asked for a favor. What is your request, he asked. She replied, in your kingdom, please let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and one on your left. But Jesus answered by saying to them, you don't know what you're asking, exclamation point. <laughs> you don't even know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I am about to drink? I, if I was translating this, I would have said naively. They said, yes, they replied, yes, we're able, because <laughs> they, 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 they had no idea what was about to go down, okay? By this time, Jesus had already told him three times he's about to die, but they were like, yeah, yeah, we got it. We can do it. <laughs> Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup, but I have no right to say who will sit on my right hand or on my left. My father has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. That was actually a good enough reason. I actually was that resolved in me why God doesn't answer some of the questions. But I loved Jesus' response to them, right? Like it was firm. But it was also compassionate, right? Like he actually answered their question. He had a little bit of engagement. I want you to check the next part out, Mark chapter 8, verse 11. This is another time where someone is asking Jesus for something. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had arrived, they came and started to argue with him, testing him. They demanded that he show them a miraculous sign from heaven to prove his authority. When he heard this, he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why do these people keep demanding miraculous signs? I tell you the truth. I will not give this generation any such sign. There's nothing that happens between these. I just want you to catch this. The next verse. So he got back into the boat and left them, and he crossed the other side of the lake. <laughs> There's a contrast there that I want you to catch. With his friends, he still said, nah. <laughs> but he gave them a little bit like it was a little cushion. For these people that are out here just wanting him to prove himself and wanting to prove his authority, he literally has no words for them. <laughs> He's like, why y'all want a sign? I ain't showing you nothing. And then he leaves. <laughs> no explanation. If you read further in this chapter, he gives an explanation, but it's not to the Pharisees and Sadducees. He actually teaches those who are walking with him from that moment. But I have no words for you debaters. I want you to, I, I, want, I want that to simmer 
because we're doing this back and forth thing, hold on to that for a second. I want you to go back to Jacob and Laban and them having this literal physical boundary between them. They didn't erect a fence, but we have this visual monument. Our relationship is unhealthy. You keep taking advantage of me, and I don't know how to say no to you. That's really the relationship between Jacob and Laban, right? I don't know how to say no to you. I don't know how to actually tell you that what you're doing is wrong. All I can do is run away from you, but you keep chasing me. We, we erected a whole pile of rocks so that both of us remember how unhealthy our relationship is. They're family. Holy boundaries and relationships foster peace. I know many of us struggle with this idea of boundaries. Many of us struggle with this idea because, and, for, and for, for some of us, it's like either it's all in or I'm cutting you off completely. <laughs> nope. Actually, if you really look at that, the agreement that Laban and Jacob have isn't that they won't cross the boundary, right? It's not they're going to cross the, this pile of rocks. It's specifically, I won't cross this pile of rocks to harm you. That's really what it is. There is, they have a clear, established connection, be, relationship between one another. We know it's not good for us to be close and for us to be in business together anymore. We know that that no longer works. We've been so angry with that. All we can want to do is really harm one another because if you keep chasing me, Laban, I'm going to turn on you and you're not going to like what you get. So we establish a boundary that says we're not crossing this to harm each other. And I think that we have a reluctance inside of us to do that with relationships because for whatever reason, it doesn't align with the movie version of Jesus you saw when you were a teenager. <laughs> like, that doesn't invoke smiles, <laughs> right? Like, Jesus makes us happy. Jesus is this incredibly polite dude who walks around healing people and making sure that people get fed, and he never has a cross moment unless you're selling weird things in the temple, and then he loses it, but then he snaps right back into being happy. <laughs> nope. There's several times where Jesus has full attitude problems with people. Actually, after one of the moments where Jesus feeds thousands of people, he they come to him the next morning, and they're looking for him, and Jesus is like, I don't know if he's tired or what, but he's like, yeah, y'all, only reason y'all here is because y'all had a good meal last night. <laughs> y'all don't actually want the truth. Y'all just want some more bread. Peace. Like, this is what Jesus says. And we won't do that with our family, and we won't do that with our friends because we feel like that's not Christian. Well, let me tell you, from the beginning of creation, there have been boundaries. From the beginning of the Bible, there were boundaries. And even the Savior whom we are to emulate has boundaries. 
You can't cross here. And it's not because of a lack of love. It's because of health and peace. When Jesus' boundaries, healthy boundaries keep you emotionally and spiritually steady. Holy boundaries keep you emotionally and spiritually steady. He didn't say yes to everything. Like, and I want us to get that in our head. This is also the creator of the universe with endless power. Yes, he's human, but he has it. Like, this is the one who's about to jump up from the grave in a few weeks. <laughs> he's raising people from the dead and splitting up uh, loaves of bread to feed 5,000 plus people. And he still says, like, yeah, no, I'm not doing that one. <laughs> And it's not to save energy, right? Like, it's not because he doesn't have it. It's like, mm, nah, that's actually, that doesn't, that doesn't, that's not good. And for us, it's okay too. And let's not make it so deep where it's like Jesus knows their heart, so he knows exactly why they're, he's saying no to them. Don't go there. <laughs> that's not what's, that's not, that's not, if we only make Jesus God, then we never get to see the value of what we can be as humans. Jesus had boundaries with the activities he did to be emotionally and spiritually steady. Times where people wanted him to come and minister, and he was like, yeah, now I'm about to go somewhere and pray. <laughs> Times where he's grieving, and yes, he makes a decision to serve some folks, but then the very next thing he does is sends even his best friends away. Like, hey, I'm going to spend some time by myself. Love y'all. Catch you in a minute. I'll be walking on water. <laughs> I'll be that guy. <laughs> boundaries. Hell, holy boundaries keep us emotionally and spiritually steady. I'm telling you now, most of you have been blaming Satan on your lack of discipline. You've been saying the devil is busy in your life, but it's just because you have no boundaries. It's because you won't say no. It's because you don't have a monument erected so that your family can't encroach upon your personal life. And you're ready to cut everybody off, but all you got to do is have a conversation with them and tell them, yeah, that doesn't actually work for our relationship. It doesn't allow us to be healthy. And I want us to be healthy, and trust me when I tell you I want to be holy because I have no holy thoughts about that action. <laughs> so, how can we erect something between us that fosters peace and allows us both to be emotionally and spiritually steady? It's important. We see this in Scripture. I, this one wasn't on the title screen, so you can call it like the, the, the addition, the add-on. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, guard your heart above all else, for it determined the course of your life. It determines the course of your life. Holy boundaries keep you grounded psychologically. Some of us are exhausted mentally. Our bodies may be fine. I got like I'm getting up. I actually, I'm having a hard time falling asleep. You know why you're having a hard time falling asleep? Because psychologically, you're not steady. 
I don't mean that you got psychological problems. I'm telling you, some of us have no boundaries, and we're calling it depression. Some of us have no boundaries, and we're calling it anxiety. Some of us have no boundaries, and we keep going to a counselor over and over and over again, and you know I love counselors. I've told you this over and over again. It's a part of being a healthy whole person. But some of you, the answer to what you have going on isn't a counselor or medication. It's the word no. It's the word no. And it's okay. It's okay. That's hard. Trust me when I tell you it's hard because I don't like feeling rejected and I don't like rejecting people. But God said no. He established boundaries. Jesus said no. And it's okay. This guard your heart above all else, I specifically want us to think about boundaries also in our media. What we watch, what we listen to, how we engage online, some of us have no boundaries there. I was just telling Christine this past week or maybe the week before um, that we were talking about what has been happening and as we are ramping up into the summer about, and in the summer now, ever, probably ever since about 2015, 16, in the summer, you kind of have this string of weekly, you hear about police brutality and black lives being taken and all, it's like this kind of like, soon as the summer, as soon as the, the sun starts really shining, <laughs> and I told her, yeah, I don't think it's good for black people to watch people, black people die every week. I don't think that's a good thing. <laughs> I don't think it's good for anybody, actually. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't be informed. That doesn't mean that we should bury our heads in the sand as though nothing's happening. But if I have no boundary, then that creeps into my dreams. And if it creeps into my dreams, then I'm not able to rest. And if I'm not able to rest, then I'm snapping off on my wife and my children, and they've done nothing wrong. I'm just tired because I have no boundaries with media. Some of us are engaging in argument after argument on social media, solving none of the world's problems, but getting your pressure all the way up. <laughs> heart, rate's going, heart rate going off fast. Didn't eat lunch because you were debating about whether or not Chauvin should have had all three. <laughs> Boundaries, fam. It's okay. This is about being emotionally and spiritually steady and psychologically grounded. With all these boundaries in our relationships, in our activities, and how we engage in media, I want you to keep something in mind. Okay? I need you to keep in mind, for the immature, your boundaries will feel like barriers. See, oftentimes we also don't want boundaries in our life because of the fallout from when I erect them. I don't want people to feel bad. You have to have that in the back of your head. For the immature person, boundaries feel like barriers. 
And that's not a judgment on them. It's just so that you don't keep taking yours down. It's not your responsibility to shepherd somebody's feelings as it relates to having holy boundaries. Yes, I'm not saying be selfish. No, you would never hear me say be selfish. Never. But if the only thing you can think to do is run away from your father-in-law or your mother-in-law or your mother or your father or your brother or your sister and you can't actually, they're not listening when you're telling them that they're hurting you and the only thing you can do is keep ignoring their phone calls, let me tell you now, you're doing a Jacob. (laughs) And there's a boundary that needs to actually be established there so that your relationship is actually full of peace. Oftentimes we think that those boundaries are the things that's going to cause more agitation than they don't actually. Holy boundaries foster peace. And they keep us emotionally and spiritually steady and psychologically grounded. And for that immature person who doesn't have boundaries, They will always see yours as you trying to stay away from me or you don't love me or you don't want me. And that's not true. It's okay. It's okay for you to know from the beginning of creation, God has been setting up boundaries. He's been separating light and darkness and land and water. Jesus from the beginning has been saying no to things. And I can too. I can too. So a rule of thumb, something to reflect on. Establish boundaries that keep you holy and they'll also keep you healthy. Right? You're trying to figure out like where should this be and what's a healthy boundary? I'm telling you now. Establish ones that keep you holy and they will also keep you healthy. That's as far, like, if you don't know how, like, if you don't know how far do I need to, do I need to have it so that I don't receive any phone calls or block everybody on my text messages? Like, nope, I'm not saying that. But you know those things that trigger not an emotional response that is unpleasant. You know the things that trigger some unholy thoughts in you. You know the things that cause you to do some, cause you to make some actions and have some thoughts that are absolutely against God. Some of them are relationships, and whether we're married or single, sometimes we have relationships that cause us to have some thoughts that don't honor God, and there should be some boundaries placed. I've, I've had to do that. And just like, oh, no, that's not what they meant. They weren't trying to like, you know, they weren't trying to flirt with me. I don't care. Did they cause some unholy thoughts for you? If it did, put up a boundary. Some of those unholy thoughts are honestly rage. He has a lot of anger right now. If you can't engage with an activity that doesn't cause an unholy thought, feeling, or action on your part, there is a needed boundary there. And trust me when I tell you that the boundaries that keep you holy will also keep you healthy. 
You are not responsible for the emotional pain of those who don't respect your boundaries. <laughs> like, I think about that, like, a part of this, like, honestly, let's, let's, if we really talk about this, like, a part of this is us being a holistically growing as a family, right? Like, that's really what this is. This is a sermon about holistically growing and us recognizing that there are ways in which we engage with each other that point to the ways in which God has also engaged with creation. But if we decide that we don't want to respect the boundaries that God has placed, it's not his responsibility when I get in trouble. <laughs> he doesn't have to rescue me. He does because he loves me. But sometimes he lets me sit in that for a minute. It's not your responsibility to navigate the emotional pain of someone who bumps their head up against your boundaries. <laughs> Let them bump their head. They don't, wanna, they don't want the pain that comes along with that. They'll stop doing it. <laughs> Lily was like, yo. <laughs> they'll stop. Trust me. They'll stop. The thing that we have to actually then check on ourselves is there's something that feeds me when a person keeps running into my boundaries Right, like there's something about that that feeds my ego. That means they want me. So you also have to check yourself. You gotta check yourself, right? This is, we gotta check ourselves. And we gotta allow ourselves, if I'm gonna be healthy, I'm gonna be healthy. <laughs> if I'm gonna be holy, I'm gonna be holy. I'm not gonna go back and forth because then that just sends people on a roller coaster they don't need to go, to, go on. The last thing is holy boundaries are a part of godly love. It's not opposite of godly love to have boundaries. It's not. Because if it were, God would have never established them and we would have been in that weird soup I was talking about earlier. <laughs> His values are to separate things that complement one another but should not completely overlap. They have connection, but they are not the same. We'll be so surprised to find how many codependent relationships we have. <laughs> Only because we think that letting people in every aspect of my world is loving them, and it's not. Even God with Moses had boundaries. Some of y'all don't remember that story when Moses was like, if you're really going with us, then show me your glory. And God was like, yeah, I'll show you my glory, but you can't see my face. What? <laughs> yeah, nobody can see my face and live. Oh, boundary, right? It's okay. It's okay. Like it's all through scripture. It's all throughout both the Old and New Testament and family. It's a way in which we, are mat we mature as believers to take on the values of God and implement them into our lives. So something that I want all of us to do is to really process holy boundaries. Let me tell you why I'm saying that. I'm going to put this down for a moment. <clears throat> I can see the end of the tunnel <laughs> as it relates to this the ways in which COVID is impacting 
ministry for us and community for us. I can see the end of the tunnel. Like, I feel it coming. I feel a moment when we're able to be together. I feel the moment when we have the new, we settle into whatever the new normal is because it's not back to what it was. You just don't go back after that. But you settle into what this new normal is and it doesn't look the way it looks right now as we're in the transition period. But I feel us being able to do outreach again. I feel us being able to be engaged and do baby dedications again. I feel us being able to baptize people again. I feel us being able to have communion and be two feet from each other. Like, <laughs> I feel that happening. And there's a moment when that will happen and we're going to want to run. I'm going to want to run. I want to just jump right into it. But that's not how human beings work. We can't just go from this place of sludging and stalling and then start running. So right now, I want us to be building in health and momentum for that time. So that when it does come, we can run. But if we don't have our boundaries set up in place when there, we're going to be tripping over each other. We're going to be tripping over our own stuff. If we're not spiritually mature, then we will continue to sludge through our connection with each other and this community even after the pandemic is quote unquote done. I want us to be able to be free. And yes, I know I've said that we're free in Christ, but a part of that freedom in Christ is also that our minds are renewed. And there's some boundaries you didn't have in 2018 that you're going to need in 2022. It just is. And so all of this is a part of that. Seeing that happen, I want us to be healthy. I want us to be holy for you and for us, for the glory of God. I want to pray. Father, you are the one who separated light from darkness. You are the one who established the boundary of how far the sea could go on to land. You're the one who established the boundary of human years. You're the one who established the boundaries of how deep pain can go. It's not endless. You're the one who said you can't go any further pain. You're the one who did that. And the stories that you've given us in the Old Testament and in the life of Christ, we thank you that we also see holy boundaries established. Give us wisdom, God. You say in James that we can ask you for wisdom and you will give it freely, God finding no fault, like you're not even looking for what we did right or wrong. You just, you say we want wisdom and you give it to us. We receive that gift on this morning of your wisdom to establish boundaries that one, glorify you and keep us healthy. We trust you. We honor you. Holy Spirit, we also say show us in ourselves where we're 
wavering in the boundaries we've already set up. Not that we're selfish, but so, Lord, we can be holy and healthy. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode and believe others could benefit from hearing about us, please remember to share and subscribe to Unison Christian Church wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also catch us live at unisongr.com or on Facebook. See you next week.